Father, we can't conceive of where we would be without your miraculous intervention in our lives through Christ. One thing we can acknowledge here this morning is that we wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be here because your word is very clear that we do not understand, that we do not seek you. There is nothing good in us. Help us to forsake that philosophy of the world which tells us that there is, there is good in there and we just gotta, we just gotta bring it out. It is only by the righteousness of Jesus Christ applied to our hearts that we can be free, that we can have victory. And we thank you for it. And we thank you for this wonderful, miraculous change that happens in our lives that takes us from the place of there is no good thing that dwells in us to the place where we can be a part of your family, where we can stand here this morning and worship you, that we can serve you, that we can show your love to other people, that we can do good and right things. Thank you for that miracle of your grace that changes us, that makes us whole, that sets us free. We are so thankful that because of his blood that we are in Christ and that he is in us. This morning, Father, Free our minds from the bonds of all that goes on around us on a daily basis. Moment by moment, the stresses and cares of life. Quiet our hearts and cause your Holy Spirit to move freely among us today as we hear your truth. May it be your words and not mine. May it be all of you and none of me. May you always increase and may I decrease. And may that be the case across this room this morning. As we lay ourselves at your feet, Father, as we humble ourselves before you, we pray that you would lift us up by your grace and mercy today. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks, folks. Have a seat. I happen to personally think, and you may not necessarily agree with this, but I happen to personally think that one of the most fascinating things in the whole world is watching babies and toddlers and little children grow and develop, watching them learn new skills. I have realized that we are approaching this week, actually next Saturday, I almost don't want to say this, but when we have our Barbecue and bonfire, it's not going to happen, okay, good. The next Saturday we have our barbecue and bonfire, which is July 21st, 6 o'clock, Administration Building 496 High Street, is going to be exactly 14 years since Melody and Gavin and I moved here to South Paris. And, uh, thank you. And one of the things that's been really cool is watching not only our son grow up, but watching everybody else's kids grow up. And I, and I just love watching them and seeing them learn and grow and develop. I, I don't, some of you know this, but um, 
Gavin was born at 27 weeks, a full three months premature. And so he spent the first eight weeks of his life in the neonatal intensive care unit at Maine Med in Portland. And uh, we did the whole isolate thing, and he was on the respirator for several weeks, and all these medications and IVs and, and all of these things. And, and we are so thankful for what God did in his body and causing him to grow and develop and, and be perfectly healthy today. But one of the things that we, of course, observed during our time there in the NICU was that there was this huge room. At the time, the NICU was one big room, and there were a couple of dozen babies like Gavin in that room. The difference was that some of them had much more serious illnesses and chromosomal issues and things that they were dealing with. And what we saw was that physical developmental growth is not automatic. And it's actually not guaranteed. There were some of those little babies that did not progress. There were little babies during the eight weeks that we were there who died. There were others whose parents, and as you might imagine, all thrust into that crucible of crisis at the same time that we got to know a little bit. And others, uh, their babies did not die, but they received difficult news about issues that their babies would struggle with for their whole lives. And that development is not guaranteed. And I think that brings us to what we're talking about here in the book of Colossians today because we're seeing that this entire book is about our connection with Christ. I like to use the phrase, our union with Christ. In fact, in the four little chapters of this book, and if you're looking at Colossians in your Bible, it probably only comprises about four pages in your Bible, but in those four short chapters, 75 times, Paul says, in Christ, through Christ, with Christ, by Christ. This is all about our connection to Christ and our union with him. And so every week we're asking ourselves, what does it mean to be in Christ? And we've talked about these facts. Because I am in Christ, I can live a holy life. Is it difficult to be a Christ follower in this world? Absolutely, but because I'm in Christ, I can live a holy life. It is possible. A couple of weeks ago, Pastor Tim talked about the fact that because we are in Christ, we must sacrifice all. We must be his servants. And last week, Tom talked about the fact that because we are in Christ, we must be taking steps toward maturity. We must be on the path and headed in the direction of maturity. But what we realize, much like Melody and I realized when we were in that NICU, Surrounded by all of this pain and difficulty and suffering with all of our little tiny infant children. That that physical development was not guaranteed. We realize here as we walk through the book of Colossians that neither is spiritual growth and maturity guaranteed. It's not automatic Yet it is extremely necessary in this mixed up world. 
So what are we going to learn today? What does it mean to be in Christ? Well, we're going to learn this, that because I am in Christ, I can stand firm in my faith. Because I'm in Christ, I can stand firm in my faith, I can be confident in what I believe, and I can be strong in what the truth is, and I can be convinced of what the truth is. How many people have ever said, even though I am in Christ, even though I'm a Christ follower, I don't know everything that I need to know about what that means? Anybody? I'm not sure everything that the Bible says about this subject or that topic or, hey, I was at work today and somebody asked me this question and and it made me wonder. It made me wonder, what do I believe? What does the Bible say? What is right? They kind of had a point. It sounded good. Are they right? Because I'm in Christ, I can stand firm in my faith. So let's look at what Paul has to say about this process of growth and the stability, this consistency. We're going to read five verses in Colossians chapter 2, starting in verse 6. Therefore, Paul says, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. So let's look at what Paul says here. It's incredibly important for us. Remember that he is talking to Christ followers. So if you're here this morning and you are not a Christ follower, you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, what I want you to be doing is realizing that this could be you. This could be the strength and the stability you have in what you believe and what is right. For those of you that do belong to Christ, who are in Christ and have Christ in you, this is where you should be. Keep in mind, like Tom talked about last week, that maturity in our faith is not for an upper echelon of Christ followers. It's not an elite class or a special group. It is what God intends for all of us, okay? So he says if you've received Christ, you need to walk in him. And the phrase walk in him means to go in a complete circle. To go in a complete circle, it means that it should affect every area of your life. Uh, When I was a kid, some of you may have been involved in this too. I think there there was a WANA in this area. I don't know how many people are familiar with a WANA, but it's a, a church program for kids. I'm not sure how popular it is anymore, but when I was a kid long time ago, it was pretty popular. And where we grew up, where Melody and Tim and I grew up, there was Awana and we were a part of it. And one of the things that they did that I loved because I was crazy about sports and all that kind of stuff, they had Awana Olympics. And we had these games and Awana games are and around this circle. And everything takes place around the circle. You're running around the circle and doing all kinds of things. And so we had a team, and we trained to go to the Awana Olympics. It was really exciting at the time, okay? It really was. I promise you. We were pumped about it. 
We had T-shirts that had logos on them. And one of the events that I did back in my prime, I was about 40 pounds lighter and much faster than I am right now. And one of the events I did was the three-legged race. Anybody ever done a three-legged race before? But this was serious. This wasn't like country picnic three-legged race. This was serious business. And we ran the three-legged race, okay, around the circle. And I had one of my closest friends and I ran it together. We trained together. I mean, I'm serious. We had practices a couple of nights a week. This was big stuff. And Ronnie and I did the three-legged race together. Ronnie was one of my closest friends at the time. And we had these Velcro strips, and we strapped our legs together, and we got it as tight as we could get it. And we ran around that circle. Now, I don't know if it was a short straw or what it was, but this doesn't matter when you run a three-legged race in a straight line, but when you run it in a circle, believe me, it does. The outside guy, it's rough. And I was the outside guy. And Ronnie was on the inside, and he would lean in, and he was digging with that inside foot to keep us as tight to that circle as we could get. And I was on the outside, you know, (laughs) reaching, trying to find the floor with our middle legs, his right leg and my left leg strapped together. And I want to tell you, we needed to make sure that we kept in step or it could all go very wrong very quickly. And it did a few times until we got the hang of it. And then we were, we were good. If there was a running in a circle three-legged race hall of fame, we would be on the ballot, okay? We would be on the ballot. But we were constantly constantly, all we could think about was keeping in step with each other. So that just as soon as one guy started to move his right leg, the other guy was moving his left leg. And we went to the Olympics, and we didn't win. It was the U.S. and Canada, and a team of kids from Chicago, the the shortest one was 6'3", creamed us. But we were the number one team from Canada. But we won that three-legged race. We beat those kids from Chicago. Because we were in step. And we had practiced it and practiced it and practiced it. And that's what Paul is talking about here in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 6. He is saying, if you have received Christ, then you need to keep in step with him. You need to practice, practice, practice every day, stepping where Christ steps, making sure that you are in line with him. That's what he's talking about. Now remember the theme here is union with Christ, and we are in Christ. That also means that we need to resemble him. We need to look like him. 
And if there's anything that we learn about Jesus when we read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the first four books of the New Testament, all tell us about when Christ walked on this earth. If there's anything that we learn there about Jesus, we learn that there was no halfway. Right? Nod your head if you know there was no halfway with Jesus. I mean, he was all in. What did he tell to the guy that said, hey, I want to come follow you. Do you know what Jesus said? He said, well, okay, but you need to know something about me. Even foxes have dens and birds have nests, but guess what? I'm homeless. (laughs) I'm all in here. I've given everything. Another guy said, Jesus, I want to come with you. And what did Jesus say? He said, all right, but you've got to leave your family behind. You've got to just go. You can't bring all this baggage with you. You've got to just follow me. You've got to be all in. And so if we're going to be in Christ, we need to resemble him. What does that look like? Well, it means that you can't love Jesus and not love his bride, the church. You can't love Jesus and not love the people who are sitting beside you and around you here this morning. This is Christ's bride, and he loves it. And you have to love it too. It means you can't be all in with Jesus on Sunday and then do your own thing on Monday. It means you can't believe some of his word and not all of it. Jesus was all in. We need to be all in. We need to exalt him. We need to sacrifice all. We need to grow up and we need to get solid. That's what he's talking about here. How do we do that? How do we get solid? How do we learn to stand firm? Well, it's in verse 7. Let me read it for you again quickly and then we'll look at it. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So we notice three things here. Number one, you need to be rooted in him. We all know what roots are, right? Down deep into the soil, trees and plants and shrubs and, and roots ensure life and growth and bring nourishment to the plant. They bring stability and they ensure survival, right? If you're going to plant something, it's got to have roots. It's got to get in there. It's got to grow down in deep. And people that understand a lot more about this stuff than me say that a good healthy tree has as much below ground as it does above ground. That's what he's talking about here. Now, if you take an established tree in your yard and you cut a branch off, what happens? To an established tree, when you cut the branch off, does the tree die? No, it doesn't die. It stays, and it continues to grow. And in fact, it might even grow stronger. Not really much of a tree guy, but somebody told me one time, if you get a young tree and you want it to grow up and grow stronger and grow taller, that you should cut off some of the lower branches to force it to grow up. Sometimes life takes a branch, right? Have you ever experienced that? In the tree of your life, that you lose a branch, a parent, a spouse, a child, a friend, 
a relationship. This is why Paul is saying you needed to be you need to be rooted in him because here's the thing life is going to take a branch it might take several branches and if you are not rooted then you're not going to survive but if you are you will you can Being rooted in Christ brings us nourishment, just like it brings the tree nourishment. And it ensures our survival, just as the tree's roots ensure its survival. We must be rooted in him. Here's the second thing he says, we must be built up in him. This literally means building on a foundation. It means building properly and following a plan. That's what Tom was talking about last week when he talked about taking steps and progressing and maturing. And this is a continual process, by the way. If I was to read this literally the way that it is in the Greek with the verb tense, it would be saying this, we must be being built up. It needs to continually be happening. If you are not being built up in your faith, then you are falling back. There's no neutral here. You know what happens to a car that's going uphill when you take it out of gear and put it in neutral, right? It stays still, right? And what happens? It starts rolling backwards. And the same is true in this hill of life that we're on our way up. If we are not growing, then we're falling back. That's what Paul's talking about. We need to be rooted in him and we need to be built up. We need to be being built up in him. The same is true if we're walking into the wind. How do you walk when you go into the wind? You lean into it, right? What happens if you stand up? Right over on your back. And this is what Paul is talking about. Be being built up in him. Keep it going. Keep leaning into the wind. Keep leaning into the hill. And keep going in that direction. If it isn't happening, we're falling back. We must be rooted in him. We must be built up in him. And here's the third one from verse 7. We must be established in the faith. That literally means to confirm or secure ourselves in the faith. It's talking about getting stronger in what we know about God's word. Many times when we have conversations, you and I and others... When we talk about this, many times I've heard people say, well, I don't really know very much about the Bible. Listen, folks, that is to be expected if you've never read it. That is to be expected if you have not spent a lot of time in it. And that's okay, by the way, when you start. When you're getting started, when you are a baby in the faith, but guess what? You can't stay that way. It's okay at the beginning. It's not okay five years later. That's what Paul is talking. You've got to be established in the faith. We have to be learning. We have to be growing. We have to be understanding more and more about what God's word has to say. Now, how many of you have ever heard of the Platte River? The Platte River runs through Nebraska, eastern Colorado, and all the way through Nebraska, and it is an incredibly important part of the Missouri River tributary system and drainage 
basin and area. But the Platte River has never been any good for navigation of any kind. In fact, it was never even any good for canoe navigation. If you've ever been in a canoe, they don't take much water. Because it was so shallow. It's never been used for transportation of goods, even back in frontier times, because there just wasn't enough water. But the crazy thing about the Platte River is, it is incredibly wide. In fact, at many points, the Platte River is almost a mile wide. And in 1889, a man named Edgar Nye was writing an article about that river And he said, it has a huge circulation, but almost no impact because at many points, it's a mile wide and only about an inch deep. Ever heard that phrase before? That's where it came from, and it's not a compliment. A mile wide and an inch deep. And that cannot be us, folks. It cannot be us. We cannot be a people, either individually or together as a body, who have a lot of circulation but almost no impact. That's not what God is asking for. Of course we want the church to grow numerically. Of course we want to see more people come. We want to see more people come to Christ and place their faith and trust in him. But when that happens, that indicates the beginning of their journey, not the end of it. Because if that is all we do, then we'll be a mile wide and an inch deep. We'll have a lot of circulation, but no impact. And that's not what God is calling us to. He is calling us to grow to deepen our faith and what we understand about the scripture. Well, let's look at another phrase in verse 7. He says, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith. And then notice what he says, just as you were taught. The word taught means exactly what you would expect it to mean. It means directed. It means instructed. We grow and we mature and we get solid by being taught. And I hate to break this to you because I know there's going to be some of you that this is going to be incredibly disheartening news, but here it is anyway. You know, I don't like to shy away from telling you the truth, so this is it. We are all in school all the time. When I graduated from high school and decided to go to Bible school, when I got to the end of that last year of Bible school and I graduated, I said, that is it. I am done. I'm never going back to school. (laughs) I've had enough. But we're all in school all the time. The question is, whose school are you in? And whose teaching are you listening to? That's what Paul is talking about. Are you being taught the wisdom of Christ or are you being taught the philosophy of this world? You see back in verse 3 that Tom, the passage that Tom taught last week, it says, in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And you may be sitting here and you may say something like, well, I can't go to seminary, I can't go to Bible college, I got to work. Well, some people do go to seminary, some people do go to Bible college, and that's good. And others do radical mentorship or they take leadership classes with Pastor Tim or they come to our Tuesday night Bible classes. We've had five of them in the past year. 
and some go to groups and LTGs. And whatever way it is, friends, you need to understand this. You only grow if you're taught. You've got to be taught. We grow by learning, not simply the passing of time. That's a mistake sometimes we make. Well, you know, I just need more time. I've only been saved two years or four years or five years or ten years or twenty years. But it's not the passing of time. It's the truth of God's word sinking into our hearts. And why is all of this important? Because verse 8, Paul says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. This is so important that we grow, that we're taught the truth, that our roots go down deep, because there are aspects of this world, and there are people in this world... who want to eat you and your family for dinner. They want to gobble you up. They want to destroy you. That's the picture that Paul uses here. When he uses that phrase, take you captive, the picture, the word is literally a predator that goes hunting, finds his prey, kills it, and takes it in his mouth and hauls it back in his den to consume it. That's the word that Paul uses. He says there are people, there are elements of society and philosophy in this world whose sole goal is to consume you, to destroy you. And the stakes could not be higher in regard to you getting solid and standing firm in your faith because your life is at stake, your family's life is at stake. My friends, there is no greater mistake that we could make for those of us who have children and grandchildren to just say, well, they need to be out into the middle of all of it and they just need to learn. They need to learn to stand up. Yeah, they do need to learn to stand up, but we are feeding them to the wolves if we just throw them out there without teaching them the truth. Because the world wants to gobble them up. And we're seeing it. We're seeing it. If you're not seeing it, rub the sleepy guck out of your eyes and turn on your TV or your computer or grab a newspaper and you can see that it's happening all around us. The world is gobbling us up. Be careful they don't take you captive by philosophy. The word philosophy literally means the love of wisdom. But I really love this about understanding this word even more clearly than that. It also carries with it this idea, not only a love of wisdom, but it really means loving your own thoughts. And I thought, you know what? You know what? There is no better word to describe what is happening with the belief systems of the people of this world, of this culture. We love our own thoughts, right? Our world loves their own thoughts. This is what, who? I think. This is what I believe. This is what I think is right. That's what philosophy is. It's a love of my own thoughts. Isn't that true even in our own lives as Christ followers? One of the barriers to getting deep in our roots and getting solid is we love our own thoughts. Hey, you know who's right 99% of the time? Me! 
and it's hard when nothing else lines up. Don't be captured by this philosophy, loving our own thoughts, or the elemental spirits of the world. That simply means reducing the world and reducing life to the things that we can see. I don't know if you have noticed this or not, but there is just a general devaluing of life in our society. A devaluing of life. We're being encouraged that at its very beginning, in its greatest innocence, life doesn't matter. And we're also being told that at the end, life doesn't matter either. And someone is deciding that somewhere in the middle is life that's worth living. And even that sometimes doesn't have any value, depending on what we have accomplished or what we can do or what our abilities are. We see it all around us. I'm speaking in generalities, but I get a lot more specific if you want me to. It's a devaluing of life. That's the elemental spirits of this world that, hey, you know what? You get up and you just fulfill whatever physical base desires that you have. That's why you're here. You just do it as long as you can do it and then you die and it's over. That's the elemental spirits of this world. And Paul says we cannot be taken captive by that. And here's the thing, guys. He says it's given according to human tradition That is, it has been passed down from generation to generation to generation to generation. And this is what I just love about this culture that we live in right now. This culture is so convinced, I'm saying I love it sarcastically now. Culture is so convinced that we figured it out. We've unlocked truth and wisdom and the way to live. You know what the reality is? This is a philosophy that has been passed down for generation to generation to generation for thousands of years. Do you know what it is? It's just humanism. You know what humanism is? Humanism just says, I have in me as a human being what I need. I don't need anything else. I don't need God. I don't need anything that anybody else has to contribute. There is in me all that is necessary. That's the same thing that Adam and Eve were saying in the Garden of Eden. That's not new. It's been passed down for thousands of years, generations and generations. And what mankind thinks is wisdom and freedom from God actually becomes despair and hopelessness when he realizes that he can't save himself. Has mankind improved any over 5,000 years? We will say, well, yeah, you know, technology and all that. Okay, just leave technology out for a minute, okay? The jury's out on whether that is really helping us or not. Besides that, in how we treat each other, in how we care for humanity, have we really improved in the last 5,000 years with this wonderful humanistic philosophy? I don't know. Let me see. Did you know that there are more people in slavery in this world now than there were 2,000 years ago? Did you know that in the last 500 years, there's only been about five or six months where there hasn't been war going on in some part of the world? Did you know that there is more famine and hunger in the world today than there has ever been, even as we drown in our abundance and affluence? 
Did you know that there are still seven or eight countries on genocide watch right now that are about to plunge into genocide? Does that sound like we're getting better? The philosophy of this world, he says, is not according to Christ. Because I am in Christ, I can stand firm in my faith. Because you are in Christ, you can stand firm in your faith. He says in verse 9, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him. The word fullness and filled means complete. Jesus Christ is completely God, and you have been completed in him. As you are taught, you learn. As you learn, you grow. As you grow, your roots sink into Christ and the truth. And as your roots sink into Christ and the truth, you get solid. And your Monday starts to match your Sunday. And you stand firm. And you start to hear the error when you hear the world's philosophy. And you start to stand in the truth. And as we grow and our roots sink deep, deep, they are sinking down into the roots of who God is and what Jesus Christ has done for us. He who is our fortress and our rock. So that even in blessing and in pain, we can stand firm in our faith and what we believe. Let's stand and sing that song together as we close this morning, folks. God, my rock. Here's the thing, folks. We have an opportunity in front of us. We have an opportunity to impact this community for God, to show them Christ's love in a way that they've never seen it before. We have an opportunity and the possibility of this building, in fact, to take this ground and claim it for God and to use it as a place to radiate His grace and mercy out into this community. But you know what? That's going to take people who can stand firm in their faith. It's going to take people who are willing to grow, to add strength, to gain wisdom and understanding. And we can do that in Christ. Question is, who's going to do it? Are you going to do it? You're going to be one of those people that walks with us in this journey? It's great to have a big crowd on Sunday morning, but when the rubber meets the road, there needs to be a bunch of us who are standing firm because the world is going to keep coming. Satan is going to keep coming. He's going to try to pick us off one by one and take us captive with its philosophy. And we can't let that happen. You are in Christ, my friends. If you are his follower, if you have trusted him, you are in Christ and you have everything that you need to stand firm. Let's do it together. Father, thank you for this moment in time. In the grand scheme of our lives, it has been brief. But we know that the truth of your word can change our hearts and lives forever. And that's what we are asking here this morning. Help us to stand firm as your body, as a family of God, and move out into this community and see it change as we share your love and grace to those around us. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you, folks. Have a great week.